This episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by Sci-Fi Bartow! It is Saturday, February 17th from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. It's in beautiful Bartow, Florida at 180 South Central Avenue, Bartow, Florida, 33830 on Main Street. Yes, and Johnny, what is the price of this event? Free! You want to bring your family, you want to bring the kids, also it's pet-friendly, this year, the car show is coming back. They're going to have the Cylon Raider ship. They're going to have the TARDIS from Doctor Who. Also, George Lowe, the voice of Space Ghost, and Chuck Dixon will be at Main Street Comics and Memorabilia right in front of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce stage. You want to come out. You want to see us. You want to bring your friends. Man, there's going to be plenty to do. There's an art show. There's a costume contest, rock painting, trivia games, and also there's going to be a whole plane full of cosplay, including the five. 501st, a Tampa Bay Garrison, the USS Haven Star Trek Fan Club, Guardians of Justice, Florida Con Artists, and Bombshell Cosplay, plus many, many more. Also, there'll be hundreds of sci-fi vendors and 10 blocks of sci-fi fun, and including activities for the kids. You're going to want to come out and see us, and don't forget to tell them that the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce sent you. Hour with Johnny and Deuce presents a video game retrospective. The year? 1992. Hey Deuce, how are you doing, man? I'm doing terrific. How are you doing, Good, sir? man. I, I, I just want to first start... This is, I want to first start off by saying thank you to all the fans and listeners around the world that have listened to our last two video game retrospective episodes. They really took off. Um, people really enjoyed them. And we have a lot of fun doing them, and they're a little bit different. Uh, we don't start off with a deuce salute or anything no. like that. We just kind of go right into it because there's a lot to cover usually. Yeah, it's a lot of ground. A lot yeah, of ground. A lot of things come out every year, and we try to like pick the highlights, the best things that came out. Our personal favorites is a little bit of bias yeah. there. But we talk about video game systems coming out, companies being started, as well as any sort of events or uh, awards that are won that year as well. And the year 1992 I mean, we said 91, and 91 was really good, which it was. But 92, holy crap, dude. There's a lot of great games that came out in 92. And I want to start off. We usually try to go chronological. um, And uh, for me, it's like there was a game, because we talked about in uh, 1990 when Mega Man 3 came out. Well, in January 15th of 1992, Mega Man 4 was released in the United States by Capcom. And let's just first start by saying, you know, Capcom, where have you been? Because, like, Capcom was the king of the world. They had so many amazing games that came out for them. I mean, they, they were did, doing, like, all the platformers. The they yeah, did, they like, the DuckTales yeah. and everything. They were doing all bunch. They were doing some the amazing. Rescue Rangers. Right. Oh, yeah. They were doing some amazing uh, platformers. And Mega Man 4 was really, really good, too. Um, and I remember 3 was the first one to introduce the sliding, the power slide. Oh, and, really? uh Yeah. So this it, it's interesting because Mega Man 4... Uh, has the addition of the 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 new Mega Blaster, uh, which is like an upgraded arm cannon that you can do like the charge shots. Yeah. So it's the first time you could do that. In the other oh, games, wow. the, you know, you you kind of there's been so many Mega Man games, you kind of think, all right, well, you've always been able to do that. But no, four was the first one to introduce the charge shot, where you can actually hold down for a more powerful blast, yeah. which is really cool. Uh, but me, uh, do you, you you played the Mega Man games? We talked a little yeah, bit about yeah, yeah. it. There, I mean, Mega Man Two. I remember my mom got me uh, from I think it was like KB Toys or something when I was at my grandmother's. And she brought it. I played it on a little TV, and this is because we're a couple old heads over here. We had to go click, click, click to change yep. the channel. It was like an old school TV, and I hooked it up and played it and loved it. And uh, I loved Mega Man Four, like uh, Mega Man, because I never played Mega Man One. Mega Man Two was my introduction to the series, and then after that, it was like any year a Mega Man game came out. That was definitely because back then we were kids. You only got video games at Christmas and your birthday. So it was like when one came out, it was like whatever comes up next, Christmas or birthday, that's why I'm getting it. So yeah, well, the only, the, I would say the only thing that the, the only thing on Mega Man Four was in, other than the the Mega Blast Cannon, there wasn't a huge 
gameplay change from three to four because three really changed a lot with that power slide that changed oh, the yeah. game like being able to power slide and whatnot and of course rush was introduced yeah. in three and he's here in four and he you know they have a couple of different mo- mo- uh, moves and modes and stuff that you could do but it was pretty much the same type of game same idea get from yeah. beginning to the end and you know collect about the you know the, the robot body's power you know uh the robot baddies you know grab their powers and, and blueprints and stuff but um it you know for me it it is it was so similar um but i think it attempted to try to have like a a better idea with the story because dr light and dr wiley you know you you kind of didn't really know much about them before then before really kind of expanded on that story really kind of got their backstory which for a nest game was big because back then you got to remember there wasn't a lot of room on those nest carts to put like a lot of backstory and a lot of Text what we call it tech uh, cutscenes now, but right. cutscenes were mostly text back then. Right, and so to fill in stories actually took some time. So, and of course, it was done by you know the artist uh, KG Infune Sun, who went on to do later on to do Metroid Prime and and all that. I mean that he was the the artist, the inker, or whatever if you will. Um, and he he made them the characters look so unique and so distinct, and they're so memorable. Uh, but yeah, Mega Man Four, uh, really fun game. So what else we got on the list, Johnny? Well, we also have um, Blue Skies Productions. Um, they released uh, Ultima Underworld, uh, which was the first ever 3D first-person role-playing game. Yeah, I never got to play it. I don't know if you ever got a chance. I had some I friends think that I played did, it. I did, but it was it was really cool because you actually crawled through the dungeon from a first-person perspective. Correct. Yeah, you would swing the sword, or you put your wand out there to like, cast a spell, which was really. But no, I mean it was like we'd, we wouldn't have Skyrim and the games like that today if we didn't have that game and that game is one of the ones that's actually at player one they have a history of games it's actually across the whole bar which you've seen and that's one of the games that's on that history because it's such a big landmark that they actually put it on since it was the first 3d role-playing game it's like a dungeon crawler almost as well and it was interesting too because the, the uh this is the first time you really had like um depth like you had like you could swing in different directions well it's affect different things you can yeah. also stack objects on top of each other yeah which is awesome but like like i said i never had i always had friends that played it because it was a pc uh game and they released it later on for the super nes but i was like later in 94 they released it um on super nes yeah. uh, but i i would only seen it at the time on pc and it just it blew my mind it's like wow this is where games are gonna go and yeah. just think about later on you get like skyrim yeah. you know this is like the the future successor i mean if you think yeah. about it you know how amazing of a game that was but uh i thought this all and also it was one of the first games that had hotkeys where you you know you can like m- yeah. mappable hotkeys like yeah. if you want to change them for so you, you can pull out your inventory or whatever I you mean, can change how could you play wow if you didn't have hotkeys exactly I mean, like literally this was the pioneer of the hotkeys uh, later on that year, you know, of course, we were all rocking our Game Boys, um, yeah, still pretty yeah. strong, and uh, it was the Nintendo released Kirby's Dream Land, which was the oh, very man. first game for the Kirby series. A lot of people really? think a lot of people thought it was Kirby's Adventure for the NES, but yeah. no, the Game Boy version came out first, and it was all like the green screen and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I, I don't know if you had a chance to really play that game, but I loved. But Kirby's Dream Land um, was the first Kirby game I played as well, and I remember I never owned the game. I, I owned it later, but like I remember always on the bus in school, always trying to like. Can I borrow your Kirby Streamland? Like, no, no. Yeah. And I remember playing it, and I just was blown away by, like, it was a simple game. You know, you could float and pick up objects and stuff. Like, it, it was really, really, you know. It was kind of like the training wheels for Kirby. It was. I feel like the it was. game added a lot more to it. Right. But, like, it was like, it, it, to me, it's almost like a proof of concept. Like, here's our idea about Kirby, this character. You can pick up things. You can do things. And then they added more to it as the series went on. But you wouldn't have been able to get that far if... Kirby's, uh, the game on Game Boy didn't blow up the yeah, way it did. Yeah, Kirby's Dreamland was really awesome, and and of course, you know, we last year we did a uh, a tribute to um, Satoru Iwata who passed away, yeah. and he was one of the uh, de- the designers and developers on the game and the coders uh, for Kirby's uh, Dreamland. He didn't necessarily create the character. I, I think uh, uh, Miyamoto created the character, um, but it was it was interesting to see like that game spawned a huge love of that that franchise i mean he's he's my favorite nintendo character um second to mario and it's just i loved to see where they started and a lot of the things they do and also a a side note people forgot that the cover art he was white he wasn't pink 
yeah. of the rest of the other games, and that and that I, didn't, I always forget about I don't think that. He became pink until the NES. The game. colors, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really fascinating because the, the, those games obviously came out later on. The 3DS, the Virtual Console. There's even a Kirby's Dream Collection for the Wii, uh, which is like the 20th anniversary, uh, which had a bunch of the games on there, and it it was awesome, man. I really love those games, and I remember because it was done by how laboratories, you know, like that was like one of their first like real gems that came out. And I felt like the, it was a little easy, but at the time we didn't, you know, we were still new into games, you know, we, we didn't really well, have a way to compare to like basically right. the most advanced thing we had at that point was a Nintendo. So right. game boy was just basically a smaller version, a portable version than Nintendo. So you didn't have all the buttons and all the other things. So, but I, I thought it was a great introduction to the character, and he, 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 I wouldn't put him as high on the list as you put him, but he's definitely one of my favorite Nintendo characters. He's also the the first introduction of King DDD, who is, you know, uh, he was the, the, the villain in the later games and stuff like that. So it's definitely a game that uh, spawned an amazing series that, yeah. that we'll you know, never forget as a character. But yeah, Kirby's Dream Land for Game Boy was, was my jam. It was the tits. It was the tits. It really, it really was. Uh, and... Uh, which leads me to a game that we've discussed several times on the show. Uh, id Software um, released Wolfenstein 3D, which oh, arguably the most revolution, uh, yeah. revolutionary game ever, because it was like one of the very first. first person it, it pretty much popularized the first-person shooter genre. Yeah. Like that was we, it. I, to be honest with you, and I, I can only say from my personal experience, that was the first first-person shooter game I ever played because back then you would get these demo discs that were called shareware. Yes. they give yep. you, like, two or three levels, and then if you wanted to buy the rest, you would, like, ship off money, and they'd send you the disc. Or you could go to the store and buy it. And I remember getting it on a shareware disc with a bunch of other games, popped it in, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, this was amazing. Like, I'm running around shooting Nazis, and you had a gun, and it was first person, and I was like, this is the future of gaming. Which probably is why I am the first-person shooter fan I am today because of that game with games like Call of Duty and Titanfall 2 and things like that. It's all because of my love that started with Wolfenstein. And the new Wolfenstein game was great. Oh, really I love great. the new Wolfenstein. I can't Wolfenstein. wait for the sequel. So. It, it was awesome. Uh, and, and it's cool, too, because like, this game... like. It was kind of intense back in the day. Like oh, you didn't I really have a like, game. It, th there was a lot of controversy about it, and people were upset about it, and like it, it caused a big stir. And I remember the final boss is like this souped-up uh, Adolf Hitler with like double chain guns yep. that you had to fight, and people lost their ever-loving shit about it. But uh, I mean, it put ID Software on the map. I mean, if we didn't have this game, we wouldn't have Doom. We wouldn't have Call of Duty. We right, have and John, it's all thanks to John Carmack and John Romero. I mean, they were the programmers, you know, for for its software for this game, and they really like revolutionized what we think of now as is uh, first person shooters. Yeah, three D first person shooters. And I, I also one of the things too I always loved was the fact that you know the different it, there was like little challenges stuff you had to find elevators and like there's certain ways Car you had to, keys. exactly you had to find different things and it was kind of like a it had small little puzzle elements in the game but also you were shooting other dogs which that was a big yeah. thing too people you were like shoot shooting shooting animals and killing them yeah. people were like oh pedo i don't think pedo was around then but like i think other groups were like ooh humane society was like oh i don't know about that but i did love the idea that you know the enemies were varied, and they had different weapons, knives and pistols and different types of guns that you could pick up, and they all sounded, and they kind of... And you got different guns, you too. You did, too, It yeah. wasn't like you just got one gun, you got a pistol, and then you got a shotgun, and then you got a, you know, a, a chain gun, and you got, like, all these different guns that you upgraded as you went along, um, which, like I said, it laid that foundation for first-person shooters. Yeah, it was definitely a game that... Back in the 90s, definitely, if you had a PC or you had a friend, you were over there checking it out, and it was yeah. just, it was awesome. And then I, it got ported to, like, everything. After well, there that. was, like, 800. I think the, I think at some point there was over 800 fan-made created levels, too. Yeah, People yeah. created their own levels, and, like, it kind of got crazy. And then, of course, the series went on to do you Escape from Castle Wolfenstein and all that stuff like that. There was a lot of other ones. But uh, the protagonist, uh, BJ uh, Blazkowicz, who is... The same guy that's in the the, the new, new one, one, new BJ order, Blaskowitz. yeah, yeah, uh, really cool character, uh, and uh, yeah, I love the game. I thought the game was fun. I never got to finish it just because my parents wouldn't let me have it, but yeah. uh, you know, played it over at friend's house, of course, and uh, so that was a really fun game. I really, you know, uh, what do you guys think about it? Send us a question at hhpodcastshow at gmail dot com because that or was Twitter at hhpodcast probably the most 
probably the most famous game on this entire list. Probably that. I mean, revolutionary game because that game just revolutionized the industry. I don't know. There's a couple more. A couple this more list. on the list too. Yeah. There is true. Uh, of course, we talked about it in 1990s edition about uh, Escape from Monkey Island. Uh, Lucas Arts was really just like the king of the point-and-click yeah. adventure games, and they released uh, the Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, and that was uh, when it came out. Yeah. So that, and of course, games at this time were released on MS DOS, Deuce, and that was you know before really that we had like CD-ROMs aren't really out there yet. It was CD-ROMs were more of the no. thing that you know it was later on, and they had even had a reissue of the game right. uh, that had more voice acting and you know better sound effects and whatnot. But this game was interesting too because it was a very like. Uh, Mist meets um, uh, Indiana Jones, where it was very like you're yeah, going and exploring, really cool, and it had like a really unique story. And right. I mean, think about it they they ported that game to damn near everything they could at the yeah. time. So it was really cool. Um, and in they even uh, I think there was like a, a 2009 issue reissue and on the Wii or whatever. But that that though they they took a level from it uh from it for the Wii's game Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings yeah. so that was really that was really neat uh but it was also another game that had Nazis in it so like Nazis were like a thing back in the 90s people were really put Nazis in there like left and right yes yeah it was like the thing to do i mean who else is more evil than the Nazis so it made a perfect still not anybody yeah it's still like years later it's still the thing there's still uh, red skull is still at the top of the list so yeah, uh, and the cool thing is, too, uh, the game also revolutionized, you know, you think about Mass Effect, where Mass Effect you have, like, dialogue trees and stuff, and you have choice options. Well, this kind of also... You would have gotten there without that right, game. Right, it had a lot of options where it was, like, pick up, use, talk to. You had a lot of different options you could do with your e questions and answers, and so, like, that kind of changed changed the game a little bit, and, it, and there was, like, complex puzzles, and it was very interesting. Uh, I actually got to play this game, um, and back again, I only bought yeah. game, I only got games for my birthday or Christmas, so uh, I had a friend let me borrow it, um, and it was really fun. I enjoyed a lot of, a lot of it, and it, the way it looked, the visual styles were really great, and back I remember... you could borrow PC games borrow, before there yep. was a code. Yeah, before there was that whole... Um, Login code thing. Yep. You had to have like a master key code yep. to install it and play it. So this right. is way before that. Back when you could actually loan PC games, like you could loan a you know a NES game or Super Nintendo game. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it was a really really fun game, and uh, I think all of us you know at some point in time have checked that game out. Really really cool. I enjoyed the game. Uh, but yeah, that game was it was just cool to see kind of like that type of genre really explode and and to see where we have now because uh, you, you know a uh, uh, Tim Schafer of Double Fine Studios, like yeah, he really yeah. kind of like cut his teeth, cut there. his teeth, uh, you know, at, the, at Lucas Arts, and and just you know, you can see what he's done since then. Uh, another series that came out uh, was the first in the series. I don't know if you had a chance to play much of it. it was Echo the Dolphin? Do you remember that game? Mm -hmm. Came out on the on the Sega Genesis. Uh, Got that and fine game from our good friends at Retro Game Treasure. Yep, and that is a fun game. Even now, I put it in. Yeah, it's a side scroll. It's a side scrolling puzzle platformer but you're a dolphin yeah and you have different abilities you can speak to dolphins by doing your echolocation echo hence echo and you can only unlock certain areas by doing certain objectives in a certain order and it was very like it was challenging it's not easy either i remember i was playing i was like because oh. they marketed it almost as a kid's kids game, game but kids but couldn't figure it out, it out. It was hard yeah. as hell. all the kids were doing is jumping in and out of the yeah. water out's all that but you actually had to like figure things out there's like a story there but it was beautiful oh Deuce, gorgeous the way the game. water it still looks it, look, it holds up really yeah. well today it's a beautiful game um just awesome and then of course they went on to have other s games in the series but echo the dolphin is synonymous with sega like yeah. that is a series of franchise it's almost like sonic like that, that was their mascot like they're because you didn't yeah. really have mascot games other than mario was the first one that was yeah. really like but now every system has a mascot game right but that was the first really Besides, you know, Sonic and Mario to be a right. mascot game for a system. And speaking of mascots, uh, in August 27th of 2000, August 27th of 1992 spawned probably one of our top ten games of all time, Super Mario Kart. Oh, uh, my God. Super Mario Kart, I don't know how many times we play Super Mario Kart, even back in the day. We've got the I, Super Nintendo version that we still yeah, play, even play though it all it's the a little bit more janky than, right. say, the newer ones. Like, right. It's still, like, that kind of brought you to the whole... Wait a minute! You can have a game where you're playing against other people, and it's a uh, like a driving game, but you can shoot stuff at people. Um, and then also, it brought all the characters together because you had Donkey Kong and Bowser and like right. all these the Mario Koopa Troopas yeah. and yeah, and Toad and and Princess Peach and yeah. like it, it was interesting too because 
I it always, was the first one to actually merge franchises right, together. Right, and I also felt like it was it was unfair, too, because the AI could do stuff that you couldn't do. Like you know how Bowser could shoot a fireball from behind you. Uh, Yoshi could yeah. spit an egg out at you. And you're like, yeah. you know, I don't get these powers. Yeah. And so it was it was really challenging when you got into the 150 class. But it was just, it's a game that's hold the out. The old 150 class. Yeah. yeah. It holds up today. I mean, it, it's it's Do easy to pick up and play. It it's fun. Yeah. It's awesome. And if it's a game that you've never, if you've been hiding under a rock all these years, you need to check out that game. Plus, I've got a feeling it's got to be on the virtual console. And stuff it is. Right now, yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to pick up. Maybe uh, by the time this is out, the switcheroo or whatever the fuck it's called will be out, and you can get it on the old switcheroo or the Rooney Dooney or the, <laughs> the Nintendo Rooney, Switch, Rooney yeah. Tootie Fresh and Fruity or whatever <laughs> they're calling it. Yeah. So, but it was—it's definitely a game that's held up and spawned a lot of other Crash Team Racing. Yeah. I mean, uh, we wouldn't have Twisted Metal nope, if it wasn't for, that for Twisted game. Metal. We wouldn't have this game. So, like, it's—it's it's really spawned a Bring lot of Twisted Metal back. Yeah, a lot of franchises that really were spawned from Mario Kart, arguably one of. the the you know best racing games of all time. Yeah, I mean, so sure. and you know it just it, so much fun, so much joy to play the game, and still holds up today. So definitely, Super Mario Kart. Uh, we're so happy that it got released in the year of 1992. SNK released uh, a video game because the arcades were huge still at this time. Oh, 92, uh, the arcades were still going strong. The SNK released the Art of Fighting series, uh, Ooh, another good, fighting good franchise fighting series. Franchise. Yep, because the the thing is, was SNK and Sega were both back and back, like, and and so was Midway. They were all trying to like duke each other out, yeah, and they were trying to one up each other. But yep. that that art of fighting is right up there with King of the Fighters, one of the right. best SNK games, and Samurai Showdown, one of the best uh, arcade games that they they'd done. Yeah, it was cool because it, it it was uh, following the series of the Fatal Fury series, yeah. um, and it's just it it wasn't. There wasn't a lot of characters, but like the characters were, you know, you had they, they all played and felt differently. It was one of the first fighting games for me that I played. I was like, hey, they they're not just clones of each other. Like they actually have certain abilities. It's also one of the first fighting games uh, that had a uh, special meter on the bottom that yeah, you could charge up because, which you know, obviously Street Fighter really took over and really you know. Um, know made you know innovated but it was like it was one of the first fighting games that had like a special meter that you could charge up for special abilities called a, a spirit gauge uh which was interesting but uh yeah those those games are always fun in the arcades people always trying to one each other up Ooh. and of course uh it's been a crazy year so far like if you're a gamer so far this we've had mario year. kart we've had echo the dolphin we've had kirby's 92 10? i was 10 years old yeah, yeah. so it's i mean good time to be a gamer. it was a good time to amazing time to be a gamer and also if you were a gamer and you didn't have consoles yet it was awesome to to check out uh the, the arcades. Ca arcades you know they were still going strong in 92 speaking of arcades sega releases virtual racing that, that oh, game, yeah, that, yeah. that that game, game was, was awesome. That was like the precursor to the Daytona Dude, and all that stuff. Series, yeah. yeah, so like that game was awesome. It was one of the it laid the foundation for like the really the first 3D racing game, and yeah. a, you know, and they they were experimenting with polygonal graphics and whatnot. Yeah. So it was you know really awesome. And it also Sega was a was a household name by this point, so it kind of reached a larger audience than and then if it was some other company that you hadn't heard of yet. Oh right right right. Uh, and so. So uh, arcades were taking more of a uh, gamble on it. They were like, "Hey, yeah. well, we know oh, Sega. Sega. Sega makes good arcade. We games. could take we'll it. We'll take it in, and it actually reached to a good uh, character, a uh, good audience. Uh, so virtual racing was fun. Uh, it's funny for me. I don't know if you ever played this game. I, I talked to a lot of people, and they were like, "I don't know what this is." But I remember going and renting this game at Blockbuster back in '90s. It was called Zool. Do you remember that game? I do not. Zool. Okay, so we we were remember we were talking about like how this year was like the experimentation year, year and they okay. were like experimenting with mascots and characters. Well, they created this character, Gremlin Graphics, who is I don't even think still around anymore. They created this character called Zool, who was a platformer, and they were trying to like fuse Mario and Sonic together. It was like a f platformer. But was he was he a ninja. With a bunch of no. He was a ninja. He had like these like red. Uh, he looked like a ninja with red like he's black nice. with red wrapped around his eyes like okay. a mask, and like he was crazy, and actually didn't do very well. And it, it, it sold the best on the Amiga, and I'm like, wow, it's like the best selling game on the Amiga. So I guess that if you had an Amiga, you had Zool. But Zool, I remember playing Zool, and I was like, uh, I just want to play Mario. Yeah. Come around real quick, dude, so, uh, why, so you can see what I'm talking about. So he had green arms, and he was black. So this is the character, okay. but look how much so of a ripoff. I can, like I can see the character, and it looks really familiar. I cannot say that I played the game, but 
Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like it's just like a ripoff of Sonic and Mario. It actually looks more like Sonic though, like wow. the, the backgrounds and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. it didn't sell real, at all. Only the Amiga really it sold. Like it was on Super Nintendo and everything else. But like, yeah. yeah, it was not. And it had a lot of techno soundtracks, which is like a different from from everything oh, else. People was were into the techno. People were into the techno stuff. It actually had a sequel, but it it died. Like people were like, no, we not gonna play that. So Zool Ninja of the. In and a half dimension, or the ninth dimension. Ooh, yeah. no one played it. So, uh, so, so there you go. That was a, a game that, that was uh, our stinker of that uh, was our stinker of 1992. But coming up, October eighth, probably the most infamous fighting game of all time. Mortal Kombat comes to the arcades in North America. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, and it, and you know, it featured bloody fatalities, digitized characters and of course you know the the uh, fatalities mode where it was like finish him you know and all that learning all those combinations oh and that was like the first game i remember where i actually had to go to arcade with like a printout yeah it was hard like, like a sheet written out with all right. the moves on there because each guy had their own moves exactly. their own fatalities yeah and i mean to me i mean a lot of people say street fighters what kicked off the movement but i really think it was mortal kombat that kicked off the fighting game movement and then once people really started playing Mortal Kombat, because I believe it's 93 or 94 when Street Fighter 2 drops. And no, Street Fighter 2 had already come out. Had it? Yeah. Okay, well, then this definitely rode the wave of that, and I think expounded it, because I remember going to the arcade and played Mortal Kombat, not Street Fighter 2. Well, yeah, Street Fighter, uh, yeah, it was interesting, too, because Street Fighter 2 uh, won an uh, award that year for Best Fighting Game. Uh, Mortal Kombat just kind of came out. Um, and they were kind of coming out around the same time, which was interesting to see. But the thing was about the blood and all that, like the the, the fatalities. It was it, it it was like you had that, which was kind of like its shtick. It was like people were going to see the the gore, you know, the like gore. a slasher flick. Yeah. Like you'd go to see the gore, the kills, the fatalities. And I didn't really think, and I still I still think today, I don't think Mortal Kombat plays very well. Like in hindsight, because Street Fighter just plays so much better, like with your blocking if we're mechanics. We're talking about Mortal Kombat One versus Street Fighter Two. Street Fighter Two is a better playing game, right? Hands down, right? I don't think there's an argument on that, right? Um, but as the series have grown longer, now to the newer ones, I like playing the Mortal Kombat more than I like playing the new Street Fighters, and also the new Mortal Kombat's. Don't give me a janky ass game when they come out. Looking at you, fucking Street Fighter Five. I'm <laughs> looking the fuck at you. Uh, it was cool too, cause like you can go into different levels, like mini games. Remember, test your might, where you get like you just try to slam the blocks down and oh, do yeah. all that stuff. It was fun, cause it was a little. It was every so often you'd have these little mini games, which was fun. Well, Street Fighter Two had that too, where you had well, to yeah, kick the, the car like, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, kick the car and do all that stuff, or beat the barrels or whatever right. it was. So I mean, they had that too, but I mean, it was nice because you definitely had a good mix of male and female characters. Yep. Um, and just the fatalities were something like in '92. You gotta understand, guys. That shit blew our minds. We're it like, did. "What the fuck? I can rip this guy's head off." And it off. looked good too. It looked like real people. That yeah. was one of the because they videotaped real yeah. people. Yeah, it was like all digitized. It. Yeah, it looked like real people, and I was like, "Holy crap!" So it made you Even feel the different. Backgrounds looked like real people. Right. Like you'd see, like there'd be like a whole. So row like of people sitting Street Fighter Two had like this cartoony. You know, nice aesthetic art style, but when you looked at Mortal Kombat, you're like, oh, that looks like someone really ripping someone's head off, you know. And I think that's where parents were like, uh, you but know. I will give credit where credit's due. I think that the Street Fighter 2 graphics hold up way better. Than they the do. They look, they hold up and better. the gameplay is way better because, I mean, yep. trust me, as a guy that has got, I've actually got it on Sega CD, Mortal Kombat, and it just, control-wise, it doesn't hold up. The graphics don't hold up. But I can pop in my any of my versions of Street Fighter 2. They all hold up. The controls are still great, easy. So I think, even though Mortal Kombat built a legacy, I think if you're comparing the two holding up to today, I think I would go with Street Fighter 2. Personally. Yeah, I think Street That's Fighter 2. That's my personal opinion. Same here. Personal opinion from Deuce, who you can hit up at all things Deuce on the Twitter <laughs> machine. To send me all your hate tweets. It's funny. We 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 had our great friend uh, uh, from Retro Game Treasure, uh, the Mega Buck. Buck, yeah. Uh, and he was on. And he did an episode with us a while back, and we talked about this next game, which we're not going to go into too much detail because he's he he has the original uh, version of this, and he went into a lot you know a lot of detail and exposition about it. But Night Trap came out for. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Sega CD this year, and uh, October fifteenth of nineteen ninety two, and of course that was very off, 
you know, people were blowing up about it because it was all that gore and like it was there was some TNA there and like women in the skin be clothes and people were like, this isn't video games. And I remember uh, just a lot of parents are having a big, you know, a big hubbub about it yeah. and, and all that stuff. But like I, I remember Buck, uh, he was telling us all about it and like how he had those multiple versions that came out later on because it got ported to the 32X, the uh, 3DO and even Mac had a version. But if people didn't know, just real quick. It w- it was about it was one of, it was one of the very first full motion video games, um, and it was about women. Uh, they were at like a like a like a sleepover, and essentially you had cameras because you were trying to stop these uh, augers who were who were like to take women's blood or whatever, and you had to set these traps by activating them, but you could only see them when you're on the cameras. So you had to switch between the cameras, kind of like a precursor to Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, if you think really, about it, it r- really was. Yeah. But uh, anyways, the game had a lot of things in it, and there was a—I mean, Buck goes into detail more about that. So definitely check that episode out uh, with the Mega Buck. But uh, that game—did um, you ever get to play it, Deuce? I have not, and actually, I think tomorrow I might actually—I um, um, talk to Mega Buck and say maybe when we get maybe one of our next shipment of games from him, if we could get that, because I would love for us to play it and do a review of it now. Because, you know, I've got the 32X, I've got the Sega CD, and we could maybe even do a Let's Play of it or something like that. That would be interesting. Yeah. And, and I didn't even realize it came out on the 3DO as well. That's interesting. Yeah. That was um, one of the game. Like, literally every system that could handle it, they put it on. And it sold like hotcakes. Because I remember, like, there was, like, Senate hearings about this game, about how violent it was. It was, yeah. Kids shouldn't be playing this, and what are they doing? Right. I mean... This is what's in video games, yeah. In oh, yeah. If they had a Call of Duty or Mortal Kombat X or something comes out, they've right. been like, it's just provocative, you know. Yeah. And I remember some chains uh, they removed from shelves, like uh, Toys R Us and KB Toys. They did, they weren't gonna sell it on their yeah. shelves, and and it's just it's interesting to kind of see, you know, it, like you said, it sparked congressional hearings, you know, yeah, like, like the USA it, Today, Washington Post, yeah. uh, New York Times. They were all like. And mainly it's over that one scene that Buck talked about, the the chick that gets, like, stabbed in the neck, whatever, she's in a nightgown. Yeah. That was, like, the big nightgown scene or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, it was just, it was very, it was realistic for us at the time, you know. Obviously, in hindsight, later on, um, it, you know, it wasn't. But it just, I think people overreacted to the game. Yeah, I think they did, They too. thought there yeah. was, it was worse, you know, more than it was. Because there, no, there was no sex in the game, no actual nudity or anything. No, no, But no. People, pe- people assumed there would be by the covers and, you know, and all that stuff. But that's a game, you know, part of the video game controversies uh, back in the 90s. Uh, there's definitely plenty of those. But, yeah, that was uh, Night Trap came out for the Sega CD in 1992. Uh, the game Boy was still alive and kicking deuce. Uh, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. Yeah, was that was for the a g- fucking amazing That was a game. fun game, yeah. 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 It was really fun and a little weird too, because like it, there was things you could do in the game uh, that were different. Like there was a lot of sand levels, and it was just, it was yeah. a really strange Mario game. Well, uh, I felt like almost it was like, look, we need to make a Mario game for the Game Boy, but have fun. Like I think they let the programmers do whatever they wanted to do, and I think that was fun. And I remember I liked it so much, I was like, why didn't they put this on the NES? Like this should have been a NES game. You know. Well, and also it was the first introduction of Wario, uh, you know, Mario's nemesis uh, later on in, in the series. Uh, but it was interesting, too, because it, it was like a departure from anything else we've seen. And even today, uh, it still looks so different than any other games that we've played. Uh, and there was only like 30-some-odd levels in it. Um, it but the whole like very long. Yeah. You could literally beat it like in an hour or two. Yeah, and you had which was a long time on a Game Boy. It was that was a lot for for Game Boy. Um, and also just it, it's interesting too to see like how like the there was like different abilities where you could like jump on like the walls and like stand on the walls and and hold yourself on the walls. Yeah, like it was wall jump, wall jumping, which is really strange. Like Spider Man style. Uh, and it's the only Mario game not to be directed by Shig- Shigeru Miyamoto, which is weird because yeah. Miyamoto is known for Mario. That's his thing, you know, and Zelda. Yeah. Uh, so in and the music wasn't composed uh, by Koji Kondo. It was composed by Kazumi uh, Tutaka. Um, and uh, so that's interesting to kind of see how that worked um, uh, in those games. Obviously, we're you know as we get older, we're able to go back and dissect these games. But back in the day, we took it as is. Like this yeah, is just another Mario just game. Another Mario game. But when you played it, you're like, wow, this is not just another Mario game. Like it had some depth. It had a lot of levels. And like I said, it was kind of a long game for a Game Boy. 
because you got to remember that some bitch was running on four AA batteries, it which was. only lasts you so long. It, that's so, true. You that's, know, that's it, another thing to think it about. It was really, really cool, and it was really neat, and it was one of the reasons why I actually I never owned a Game Boy, so I had to like borrow friends' Game Boys and play it. And then once they finally made the attachment for the Super Nintendo the Super Game Boy, it was like the game. I went to my friends. I was like, "Let me borrow your copy of that game so I could play it on my Super Game Boy." Yeah, and so like for that game, you know, it still holds up, and you can get it on the virtual console for really cheap, like five bucks or something like that. I think I have it on my 3DS. It's still fun to play. Oh, and, sure. Uh, and it's just a little quirky. It's a little weird, but do they color it when you play it on 3DS? I don't think so. I still think it's, it's in the green palette. Really? Yeah, I think wow. it's still in the green color palette. Wow. Uh, but speaking of mascot games, another game that blew up Sega really. I mean, Sega really blew up was the release. November 21st, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. With Tails. Miles Tails Prower. Uh, I mean, that... I didn't it, even know that was his full name. Miles <laughs> Tails Prower. Holy yep. shit. Yeah, and like... That it sounds like you should have a law firm. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but it was cool, too, because, like, I remember that game, you, you could play... Uh, you could have a second controller buddy yeah. pop their controller in, and, and he could... It, pretty much, Tails wouldn't die. Like, you'd get hit. And he'd vibrate, but yeah. he could like do stuff and kill enemies for you and all that yeah. stuff. And he would automatically fly in the air and stuff like that. But I love the game because it, it, graphically it was a huge jump from Sonic One. Like it, it, it kind of put Sega back on the map because they bundled it. Sega was smart and bundled Sonic Two with the uh, system with yeah. the second generation of the Sega, and it blew up. And that that's really what you know gave. Uh, Sega, the you know, well, the that's jump. what moves systems because when I finally got my second system, I got a uh, Sega and I got it with the Sonic Two, and that was the thing that made me want to buy it because, like, I had played Sonic One at my friend's house, but then I saw Sonic Two with now what's his name again? Miles Tails. Just call him Tails. Miles Tails Prower. Miles Tails Prower. He will save you half your golden rings in a divorce. Let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> It's true. But also, it was the first game that you could turn into Supersonic if you got all the Emerald Chaos Emeralds. Oh, really? And I now, remember that, that was do? fun. And remember, you never got Supersonic? No. Okay, so at the each like at each like checkpoint, it was like one of those little uh, you circle know, thing, circle yeah. thing that spun around. And if you had enough coins, fifty coins, it would you can go into the Chaos Emerald world where you it'd be like this three D yeah, like that, first person view. Around, yeah, yeah, and if you got to the end and got all the coins, you'd get a Chaos Emerald. And then if you got all seven Chaos Emeralds, uh, you you once you got a hundred rings, you would turn it into Supersonic. And Supersonic, what? yeah, Supersonic was crazy. Like Sonic on meth. He was all yellow. He, and and oh, that's uh, definitely meth. He's all yeah, he's all meth. He's all yellow, yeah. Uh, and uh, he 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 could go like t three four times the speed, and he could run into stuff. He's almost invincible. And the main kick what? is you could okay. stay supersonic as long as you had a hundred coins or whatever. And like I so guess so, meth out Sonic was the best yeah. Sonic because yeah. he's invincible. He kind of turns a methy yellow color. Yeah, yeah, like that. That's fucking crazy. But no, it was cool to play. That. But I also remember uh, Sonic Two was also infamous for having one of the first debug. Modes where you can do go into the system and uh, do a certain configuration. I forgot how to do it. You could actually go into the debug mode and turn on supersonic mode right from the beginning. And really? it was crazy. You can go and do sound tests. Go check out the levels. You can actually see like the different polygon or not polygon, but the two D characters, like the artwork and all that. It was really fun. I don't know if it was officially released, but everyone knew about it yeah. back in the day. It was really fun to be able to like turn I'm on sure stuff. Sure, a good friend who was on a few episodes ago from. Uh, uh, Tips and Tricks magazine probably put yep. that in his magazine. Probably, yeah. It was really, really cool. Uh, uh, Chris Bieniek, um and uh, from Tips and Tricks, yeah, but he had that in there. And uh, but that was a really fun game because, like, I didn't. To be honest with you, I didn't play a lot of Sonic One. I I didn't get really into Sonic till Sonic Two. That was when I got my system was with with the yeah, Sonic I Two bundle. I got my system with Sonic yeah. Two, and then I got like Sonic One somewhere like a flea market or something. And then Sonic Pinball came out a couple of years later, which blew my fucking mind. Oh, yeah. So. Well, they had, like, Sonic collections they had put out later on and other systems. Like, original Xbox, Xbox 360 has, like, a Sega collection. You can get, like, all those different Sonic games. Uh, and th those are just... Th there's some people out there that say Sonic games were never good. I, I don't argue that. And I that. think those people are <laughs> never smart. I think they're always <laughs> stupid. I think I think Sonic just has, like, a... 
negative connotation to him because he has. There has been some shitty Sonic games that have been out. Well, there have been, um, but you know. also let's look at other franchises. Not every Mario game has been like fucking the greatest thing that's ever walked the earth or the new sliced bread. So I mean, right. a lot of marquee characters have had bad games, and I think it was because. With Sonic, later on, especially once you got to, like, Sega CD and the Sega Saturn and the Sega Dreamcast, they were trying to do new things with it to make him still hip and cool and, like, really do new things with it. And I think sometimes they try to do new things with that character because he's the marquee character, and I think that kind of fucked it up. Well, another thing that came out that year that totally bombed uh, was the Super Scope. Remember the Super Scope? I actually had a Super Scope. Yeah. Now, I didn't have it until I got into my first retro game kick, and this is way before we started the show. Right. Um, and I actually loved the Super Scope. I thought it was really, really cool, and you could use it on Terminator 2, and there was like, I think there was only a dozen games or so for the Super Nintendo you could actually use it on, but I liked it. I thought it was fun, except for the well, fucking Let's describe it for the people that don't know. Yeah, it was like a bazooka. It was exactly. a bazooka. You put yeah. it on your shoulder, and it yeah. had an eyepiece that you had to look through to shoot, and then you pulled the trigger on it. But, I mean, it was shaped like a bazooka, so it was really long, and it was oblong, and it was hard to hold. Like, it wasn't anything like the zapper, which felt like a six-gun, which you could, you know, do normal pistol stuff with it was huge yeah but uh i mean i i thought it was neat i love the game it come equipped with there was like a mech game that you got with it where you would shoot other mechs and that was really cool but like yeah there was only like it was i think it revolution there was the hidden game. game yep okay. there it is there's battle clash bazooka battle clash is a mech one was cool. yeah the hunt for red october uh lamborghini american challenge lemmings 2 How the fuck do you do Lamborghini American Challenge with it. You're oh, okay. Features a Super Scope exclusive mode. So okay. if, this is one of those things where if you had the game on Super Nintendo, they had any and you had a Super Scope, you could you could use it. You could use okay, it. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. Uh, Metal Combat, um, Operation Thunderbolt, Super yeah. Scope Six is what yeah, was bundled with the, the software. One with, yeah. T yeah. two uh, the arcade game was really fun. That was actually really fun. That one was a lot of fun to use with it, ex except for the fact that, like I said before, it was so damn bulky, it was hard right. to play it with it. Yoshi Safari, which was really weird to have uh, with Super Scope. I preferred the directional like controller for that. Uh, but also, it was actually the first real light gun, if you yeah. think about it, because uh, it had like a transmitter and everything like that. Yeah, that like you had to plug extra stuff in the system. Yeah, so it was with the with the zapper, you just plugged it in and you shot and you were right. fine. But this one, you actually had to like plug in peripherals. Yeah, 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 like a receiver and a transmitter and all that stuff and and uh it it was interesting too cuz like you you look at like the like the, there it was took a lot of batteries. It took too, a lot of batteries. Like 6D cells or yep. something. And also it was interesting too because the it had an interesting idea. I mean, I think I think if, if more developers put more time into it, I think it could have gone it could have lasted longer, but I don't remember how expensive was that thing. I think it was like over 100 bucks, wasn't it? It, it was, was expensive it, peripheral. When it came out, it was pretty expensive, but if I ever get cancer, it's because of that motherfucker. Because it had so <laughs> many batteries and it had this huge sensor bar. And I'm it like, did. if it's shooting a laser to this big-ass sensor bar, like, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm getting cancer. Like, for sure. Yeah. So it was... It, it, I never owned one. I never even played one. I, to this day, I've never even held one. Um, well, I, I played one because, like I said, when I got in my, my first retro game kick, which I would say was probably mid to... No. It was probably 2010, 2011 mm -hmm. in there. I got one on eBay pretty cheap, and I, I played it, and I was like, oh, now I understand why they were selling on eBay so cheap, because they wanted to get this big-ass motherfucker out of their garage. So, um, But I had fun with it. It's not that I didn't. It's almost like the Recticon that they had for the uh, for the Sega, which was really, really cool. But it just the, putting it on your shoulder was a bitch. Also, in 1992, was the release of the quote-unquote first-ever survival horror video game, Alone in the Dark, um, which got ported later it was on. on PC. It was on PC, exactly. Um, and I never got to play it, uh, but I heard it was really interesting because it kind of like kind of changed the way you know. You it, look at first-person first, horror. Yeah, well, and also it 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 made the Guinness World Records as well, uh, and for being the first ever 3D survival horror game according to Guinness World Records. They said it, no, that it was the very first one ever to have uh, it was 3D poly, poly, polygonal characters over pre-rendered backgrounds uh, and it just 
the way you, this the intensity that you got it was like the precursor to like Resident Evil but and Silent Hill and all those games that you you know if it wasn't for Alone in the Dark we wouldn't have those games and those uh, it was almost it, the basic idea is that you 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 were you're there to investigate like a haunted a haunted mansion uh, and had a bunch of uh, they didn't call them zombies at the time they were undead creatures and I thought it was really fascinating to see like how they you know, able to use the environments and use, you know, the lighting system and all that the for the PC. And it was, I don't know, it was interesting for me to see how Survivor Horror games have, like, transitioned on to other games. And there was multiple sequels of Alone, uh, Alone in the Dark. Alone in the Dark 2, 3, The New Nightmare, Alone in the Dark, uh, self-titled in 2008. There's even one um, in 2015. Uh, so there's a tons of games, that, a series that came out for it. But it was based on infamous uh, writer H.P. Lovecraft who, you know, a lot of people are huge fans of that writer. Uh, he's also very quirky and, you know, talked a lot about life and death and technology and stuff like that and, and the cosmic world and stuff like that. But uh, Cthulhu. Cthulhu and all that stuff. But uh, I, I, it was another game that I'd only seen watching other friends play. Because back in the day when I had a PC, my parents wouldn't let me buy certain type of games. Only like Star Wars games or, or LucasArts games. Like I couldn't yeah. buy these. And this game was legitimately scary too. Like I was watching my friends play and I'm like, man, this at the time this was a very scary game. Yeah, I can actually say it's one of the games on the list I've never played. Like I've seen it. Again, it's on the Player One, you know, on the bar because it's such a revolutionary game. They've right. got it on there. But, I mean, you're right. Like, it, we wouldn't have Resident Evil and games like that if it wasn't yep. for this one. But it was one of those games I never played because at the time I didn't have a PC. It was either I had a NES or a Super Nintendo. Right. And I really, you know, if they didn't or put Sega. those. Yeah, or Sega. Uh, and if it wasn't for those, I really didn't play it. Right, so. and this was one of those PC-only systems in games because that was back yeah. in the day when PC was still kind of controlling the market. Cause there was well, that and you could do so much more with PC you games. Should, you could, so. yeah, the RAM and extended RAM and all that stuff. Uh, also, a game that I didn't check out till the Super Nintendo version, which I loved, was Flashback. Do you remember Flashback? I don't. I never played Flashback. Flashback Everybody was says it's amazing, but gorgeous. And it was first started on uh, the Amiga, which you know um, it was a computer, correct? Right, exactly. And I, it was the best-selling French game of all time, according to best, according to Guinness World Records. But the thing oui, is, we oui, we. Oui. <laughs> but it, it was gorgeous. I'm gonna pull up some some screenshots of this, and I'm gonna show you. Maybe it'll it'll. Uh, Flashback well, I've seen to it. like I I know exactly what come you're turn around about. Yeah. yeah it, it's a guy with the gun it's it's a platformer it reminds me, it it there it is there's the guy with the yeah. gun and you go from side to side and you have one screen and it goes and into it actually had really screen. really good cutscenes oh so yeah it was like, awesome the cutscenes are what I remember because it was him and aliens and other things like that and it was like wow like that was really really cool it it kind of it was almost like you remember the game Pitfall right yeah, it was yeah. kind of like Pitfall. But with a better story. But with a better story and just overall just a better game. Because, like, what I mean by Pitfall is, like, where you had one screen, you could do so much on one screen, and when yeah, you go to the next part, you move into a whole different screen. Almost That's, like the old school Prince of Persia, too. Right. That, well, they had to do that to save RAM because, like, you couldn't load this whole long yeah. stage. You only had to do segments at a time. So that's how they were able to get around it. But Flashback was gorgeous. Oh my gosh! It, and it awesome. got ported to everything. Like, yeah, I think Sega had a copy. Super I think Nintendo Super had a Nintendo copy. copy. Yeah, I played the Super Nintendo yeah. version. I was yeah. blown away. I was like, "Holy crap! This is like." And it's it was also one of the first uh, platformers that you had guns that you could shoot yeah. guns. So that was a different element as well. Yeah. So it kind of was almost a. You kind of think like it was like an updated version of Metal Gear Solid almost. Yeah. Yeah. Because remember, yeah. The Metal Gear Solid was out for the NES. And this is almost like an updated side scroll version because, you know, Metal Gear is more of a top down bird's eye view. Oh, but yeah. like this, this is more of like a, you know, a, a side scrolling Metal Gear. Yeah. I mean, kind of essentially, you know, and there's other, and I actually say games that inf were influenced it were, were uh, if you look at like um, uh, Metroid and you look at, you yeah. look at, uh, what was it? Uh, a game that came out for the Xbox Arcade, uh, Shadow Complex. Another one. That game, you know, it was very, very similar. Where they kind of, you can see the influence. It did influence a lot of the developers. Uh, and yeah, so I'll be that. That was awesome. And the, another thing that came out the same year um, was the uh, Philips CDI was released. Yeah, I remember because our legal department had a Philips CDI, and we missed yep. uh, school a couple days because. <laughs> We missed the bus because we were playing Need for Speed on it, and we may have allegedly just stayed home from school that day and kept playing the Philips CDI, and they had some of the shittiest Mario and Zelda games that have ever been made, ever. Yeah, they did. They, which they totally Mario to, Mario Hotel, like, what the fuck? And then there was that 
Legend of Zelda game. Yeah. Oh. I mean, those are both those are mean awful. crazy. They are. They were so bad. Awful. Yeah. But that was pretty much the year, like the highlights for 1992. I mean, yeah. there was a. I would say, out of all the games, the games that for us personally that revolutionized gaming in that year was definitely Mario Kart. Um, you ha- you have to give a uh, props to Wolfenstein. You have Mortal to give Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Also, uh, Ultima Underworld. You know, the first ever three per- first person role playing game. Sonic Two and Echo. Sonic Two I mean, and those Echo. Are very, very those are all really yeah. good. Uh, and of course, some things flopped and didn't do very well. Uh, like looking at you, Zool. Looking at <laughs> looking at Zool. Also, the Super Scope didn't do yeah. much. Uh, and unfortunately, the CDI flopped, and and the and the Sega CD didn't do much. I remember they in had America. late night infomercials they about did. the yep. Philips CDI. Yep. And I think that was the one that actually had the Thunder and Paradise game, which I so want to play. Yeah. Like, I would actually, if I could find somebody who had the Philips CDI and the game, yeah. I would buy it. Right. Probably for a price that is ungodly, just yep. because of the fact that I want to be able to play the Hulk Hogan Thunder yep. and Paradise game. Definitely. So thank you, folks. You guys have, and gals and everyone been listening have done awesome listening and sharing and telling other people about these retrospectives. And we're going to continue to do them because, yeah. the, I mean, the, the you fans have spoken. You guys 6, have spoken. 6,000 plays over yep. on the first episode. So, I mean, Amazing. we got to keep doing so them. So we got to keep so. doing them. And definitely let us know what you think. Send us a line, hhpodcastshow at gmail.com. Um, and uh, send us your thoughts and uh, what your favorites, you know, because we'll be doing more years, what your favorite stuff were from the different years coming up because uh, we'll be doing 93 next and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we might go back once we get to the 2000s, like Deuce and I said before, we'll probably go back backwards. Uh, do but the 80s. Do the 80s, 80s exactly. And then do 2000. But um, when you're on the old Twitter machine, Deuce. You got to hit us up at HH Podcast Show. Also, don't forget to find us at Facebook.com for don't forget to find us at facebook.com forward slash happy hour podcast show also if this is your first kind of rodeo with the happy hour johnny news go to soundcloud.com forward slash happy hour podcast you can hear all of our older episodes our other maybe, retrospectives yeah, and other other guests and all that um our other video game episodes about newer video game episodes and you can hear all of our celebrity guests that we've had on so yeah we had the speaking of old retro video games speaking of retro video games yeah. we had brian colin the the game designer of rampage and yeah. xenophobes i mean yeah. If you're a fan of, if you're listening to this episode, you're probably a fan of retro games. Yeah. You need to go check out the and episode also we did. The same one with uh, the uh, Chris Bienia yeah. uh, from Tips and Tricks. It's awesome episode. Yeah. You guys need to go back and check that episode out. It's really, Definitely really cool. If you're a retro game fan, so. and even if if you know retro games aren't your thing, it's more newer games. We've done episodes about newer games, so go yep. check it out. Go look at the library. We're over 220 episodes strong. Yep. You need to go check it out. Also, when you're on the Twitter machine, don't forget there's not one, there's not two, but there's three hashtags. Hashtag Happy, happy Hour Podcast. podcast. Hashtag HH, HH podcast, podcast Show. And hashtag Deuce, Deuce on the loose. loose. Later. See you.